Now your Bible should be opening to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Chapter 3, and I will read beginning with verse 6. Now I'm going to do quite a lot of reading for background, and then I won't break into the message uh, with a lot of reading. So we'll read a good deal at the beginning. I would like for you to keep these words in mind while I'm teaching tonight. Building. Would you say that word with me, please? Building. Building. That's a very popular word in the Bible. To build, or be builded up, or building. I am looking for that tonight. I'm looking for that. Growing up is another related phrase in a very familiar term in the Bible. All right? Chapter 3, verse 6. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor, for we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. Ye are God's building. All right. According to the grace of God which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. I want you to notice that the apostle did not feel embarrassed to say that he had laid a foundation. He did not feel embarrassed to say in other places that they were, these people were his workmanship in the Lord. The preaching of the gospel is, in this modern day, to many people, just classic verbal expostulation. If a man speaks well and uses grammar correctly, then he's a good speaker, he's a good preacher. But the Bible doesn't know a preacher that way. A preacher is one who stands between God and the people, as the priest did, and he speaks to the people for God. Amen. He speaks to the people for God. When he speaks, he speaks in God's stead. The apostle said, I beseech you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. He was speaking for the Lord. Is that right? Well, let's warm up our amen a little. Amen. You going to leave me up here by myself today? It won't be nearly so interesting as if you get in here with me. <clears throat> So he laid a foundation. Someone else came and built on that foundation. I want to say to you that the baptism of the Holy Ghost, baptism in Jesus' name, is not the finished final product that God intends to create in you. Now we know that. We know that that's a birth process, not a maturity process. We are born again of the water and of the Spirit. The Bible said, if not, then we can't see the kingdom of God. You don't even live to see his world. 
You don't even, you're not even born into his world unless you're born again. But that's not a maturity process. That's not the end of everything. This is the beginning of good things. Hallelujah. Then the building situation must begin at that point. That's simply the foundation stone. What Jesus did, his death, his burial, his resurrection, when it's applied to us, when we become identified with him in his death and his burial and his resurrection, we are not the final product that God intended to perfect in his church. We simply have received the foundation work upon which someone needs to build. Paul said, I laid a foundation. Someone else is going to build on it. In other words, I got the gospel to you, got you out, out into the daylight. But there's some work to be done in the church. In other words, the Apostle Paul is in a sense saying, I gathered the material together. I got everything laid out in order. But someone needs to put it together. Would you accept that? Is that, is that too far-fetched? Ephesians chapter 2. Keep turning with me. Just keep turning to your right. Verse 19 will be our beginning place here. Chapter 2. Hallelujah. I feel the presence of the Lord. Just because I don't spit all over this microphone doesn't mean I'm not anointed. I've been anointed to preach this for three days. Taking my time because I want you to know what I've got to say. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. The scripture says, by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body. I've heard that greatly misused. I've heard people say that when they receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, they are automatically put into the church in their place in the church. That's not so. I believe that that spirit that brings you into the church, you're baptized into the body. You become material that God can work on, but you are not necessarily placed as, as you are going to be or as God's intention for you is. In the place where you will be, there's a maturity and a growing up. You can see it right here. You can see it. All the building fitly framed together. Grow it. This is a process of continuing growth. It isn't something that happens, bang, you're baptized into the body. Now, there you are. You found your place. You know where you are. We know, that's, we know that that's not exactly what the scripture is speaking of. By our present lives and our present mode of living. Many of you have the baptism of the Holy Ghost and are baptized in Jesus' name, follow after a doctrine of holiness and clean living, and believe that you must win the lost in order to, for, your, for you yourself to be saved, and yet you know that you have not found what you are seeking to find, your place, your ministry, the place God has for you. You are still searching, reaching, 
to find that place in God that you are supposed to find and the place you're supposed to be. If it all came with an initial baptism, there would be no searching, there'd be no questions, there'd be no direction, there'd be no guidance, there'd be no need for the ministry, there'd be no need for the perfecting of the saints or the church. So it is a continual growing process. Growing to where? Growing into what? Growing up into God's, into God's plan. The high calling of God. He knows the high water mark that you should reach to. He knows everything about your background, everything about your future, everything about your past. Putting that all together, God knows what you are capable with your abilities and inabilities, education, lack of education, personal attributes, charisma, everything, your knowledge of the Word of God, your personal experience, your prayer life, whatever is in you that God could use, he knows the ultimate product you could be in the kingdom of God. God knows that. He knows that. Now, what we are and what God knows we can be are two different things. We are trying to grow up in him. We are trying to reach that place. The Apostle Paul said, I do not say that I have attained, but this one thing I do, I press toward the mark for the prize, for the high calling of God. I'm trying to reach that place that God knows I should be. I'm not preaching to a third of this church. I'm preaching to all of this church tonight. Let all the saints say amen. Some people are satisfied with just a little of God. But if I read the New Testament and understand it correctly, this is a, a matter of being born into a whole new world and then learning to grow up. And if you don't grow up, your growth is stymied. He likens it to the natural body. What do you do with a child that, whose growth is stunted? Doesn't it worry you when children have pneumonia, the flu, uh, when their eyes cross, when their legs are bowed? Doesn't it bother you when they drag one foot? Are you satisfied that they are simply born? Is, that a, is a parent satisfied to pick up a little scrawny, wall-eyed youngin and say, Oh, you beautiful thing, I hope you stay this way the rest of your life. That, that may sound good for the moment, but what happens when he's 10 and he still can't walk? When he's 17 and can't feed himself? A friend of mine had a, a, a boy, their oldest son, their first child, born uh, with a, a soft place in his, in his head. And uh, his brain was affected at birth, and he was just, he was just, an, and now this term I'm using in the medical sense of the term, he was an idiot. He did not, he didn't know anything. But he grew. He got big. He was big as his daddy. When I knew him, he was big, but he crawled all around the floor and slobbered just like a, like a six-month-old baby. Crawl and... Uh, They'd give him a milkshake, and he'd take it with his hands and just squeeze it, and it'd just all over everything. And uh, they loved him too much to put him in a home. They, it was their first child. It was their son. He looked like his father. He had a trace of his mother in his eyes. He was a, he was a strong young man, strong. I knew him. Brother Patton, you knew him. He was the, uh, the bell's oldest son. Uh, my. I can't tell you when I was a boy when I looked at, at that young man. He, here he is almost as, uh, weighs as much, and if he could stand up on his feet, he would be as tall as his father. And yet he lacked something that really made him, would make him a man, make him what a man is supposed to be. Are you satisfied to simply be born into the world and to grow in some measures and yet lack other things? I'm not satisfied to do that. 
I want to grow up in him in all things. Who is the head, even Christ? Hallelujah. And that should be the prayer of every saint of God. You shouldn't be satisfied just to speak in other tongues. Are you satisfied just to be a gurgling youngin? Is that all you want to be in the kingdom of God? Or isn't the New Testament here lighting us and showing us a direction toward full maturity and growth that should make us more than just spiritual idiots or, or, or just uh, half-baked people having to be coached? and having to be corrected, and having to be helped. Oh, I know the Bible says to rebuke, reprove with all long-suffering and doctrine. But reproof and rebuke should belong to children, not to grown men. That should, be for the, that should be for children who come in and are born again and need correction and help. They need to be told. But not a 20-year-old, not a 30-year-old saint, not a 40-year-old saint. That's right. It should be something gained in our experience with God. You want to warm up that amen again? Amen. So, we're fitly framed together. Don't forget that. Framed together. Together. Okay? Would you like to turn with me, please, to Colossians? Keep turning to the right. Colossians chapter 2. I'll begin with the fifth verse. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness. Oh, I love that word. Hallelujah. The steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Don't just receive him, but walk in him. Don't just get him, but do something. Are you following this tonight? Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. I'm coming back to great grace. I'm coming back to thanksgiving. I'm coming back to an apostolic attitude that on one side could be beaten, on the other side told they could never speak in his name again, and right in the middle of it, of them had great grace on them. I'm looking for that church. Steadfast. Established. Unmoved. These are Bible terms that belong to the church. Amen. Let's, let's go back to Ephesians. I want to read the fourth chapter. I've got something in the fourth chapter. 15th verse, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This thing is supposed to be a compact operation, that when we grow up in him, the love of God grows out of us. And this increase in the body is an interesting thing. The body ought to increase as a result of the thing being framed together, growing up together, growing up in him in all things. You see, you can't send a child to work. You can't send a four-year-old 
boy out to do a man's job because he doesn't have the strength, he doesn't have the mentality, he doesn't have the knowledge or the ability to do it. You can send him out and you can whip him, you can beat him, you can threaten him, you can tell him he's going to do without food, you can do all kinds of things. He can't do what he can't do. But what really is sad is when you get a big grown man and all he can do is feed his face. And he could work. He has all of the attributes, all of the qualities, but he won't work. See? We tend to excuse the church from the work of the New Testament church because we say, well, we, we, we excuse ourselves on the order that we are, we are weak, we are children. No, no. You need to excuse yourself on the fact that you are old enough, have grown up enough, that you are just a lazy, grown-up man or woman. After a while, we grow out of the childhood, sure. If we don't, we still are growing age-wise. If we don't grow mentally, if we don't grow spiritually, then here we are, crawling around, 180 pounds, crawling up and down the aisles, biting the legs of the furniture. Is that what we are? First Peter, chapter 2. I'm going to begin with the first verse here. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. Now there's a mouthful. Let's all say laying aside. You can lay aside all of this. You say, yeah, but you don't know. But so-and-so said to me, well, just lay aside all of your, all of your evil speaking, your guile, your envies. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. What happens to a baby when it grows? Not a baby anymore. What happens to a boy when he grows up? Becomes a man. Didn't the apostle say in the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, when I was a child, I spake as a child? I did as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. Right? When I became a man. If so, you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, ye also as lively stones, brickyard, stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. He that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Hallelujah. What happened to these people? He starts out as newborn babes desire the milk. He ends up, you are a generation, a priesthood, a nation. 
that you should show forth the praise. That's why. Why does he want us to be built up? That we may become the organism, the media, that we might become the channel, the operational force, or the plane, or the coefficient through which the Spirit of God may be manifest to the world. If we are constantly in a state of distress, if the church is constantly in a state of, of unrest and fruitlessness, what are we going to show the world? If the church is constantly having to be helped, having to be helped along, do you think that somebody who is crippled and spastic, who can barely get one foot in front of the other one, are you going to send him out to be a mountain guide for men who scale the height? Are you going to send someone who is weak in mind and can't put his hands together and can hardly say daddy or mommy? Are you going to put him in the place where the professor teaches those who are seeking for higher wisdom and understanding? Are we going to lift the fallen world if we ourselves are constantly falling? Are we going to dedicate men to Christ when we ourselves are not dedicated to the spiritual propositions that are laid down in the New Testament church? We have been heralded and uh, have been told that our fame has gone out throughout the world for our faith, for our prayer, for our preaching, for other things. I think this is really a shame that anything this weak and this scrawny could be, could be heralded as something great. We are not a great church. This is not a great church. We are perhaps, we are perhaps on a, on a, an even keel with an average congregation. But that, that, it's a sad thing when we cannot so much as tap the New Testament plan so that we can see the multiplication of the work. I preached a simple message to you that will be the message of the church until Jesus comes. And that's the simple message one to one. That is God's plan for New Testament growth. That you Grow up in the Lord until you can bear fruit. You don't expect a three-year-old girl to have a baby. You don't expect a five-year-old boy to be a father. But when that child grows up to manhood, when that girl grows up to beautiful ladyhood, you expect that she may be able and he may be able in their bodies to produce, uh, to produce offspring. The scripture says in the very beginning, Adam and Eve were told, be fruitful and multiply the earth. This was God's first command to mankind. God never did want to just create something that was and was established. God always loved to make something that could create again and make something more and build and build. The earth brought forth. He didn't just make the earth with one set of plants and one set of trees. And when those trees were dead, there were no more trees. But the trees reproduced trees. And the squirrels have squirrels. And the lambs are the offspring of the sheep. And the horses have colts. And the cows have calves. And human people, they have children and joy in them and rejoice in them. A family without children is a lonely affair. It's a lonely situation. People who cannot bear children in their own bodies sometimes seek to take children who are orphaned by others because they need the little laughter. They need the little tears. They need something in their life to make them really what they were intended to be. They need little footsteps pattering around the floor. The church cannot be the church unless it follows God's original plan in creation, and that is that God would make it, and then it would grow up in Him. 
And until we get that in our minds, and until that gets so much in our spirits that we live every day to reproduce, we live every day the strong drives of the body, uh, keep young people in trouble, keep, keep boys in prison and, and girls in, in girls' homes. That's right. There should be such a drive in the spiritual soul to create that it ought to put us in jails. It ought to have us in trouble all the time with this world. We ought to constantly be in trouble because we are trying desperately to reproduce because of the spiritual drives in the church. It got the early church in trouble. They were constantly being told, you can't do this anymore. They did it anyway. They just came back and prayed, grant unto thy servants that with all boldness you may speak the word of God. Listen, we are not a society. We are not the gathering together just of humans to sit on the same bench because we have a similar experience. Let me tell you what the Holy Ghost showed me this week. Are you interested in this now? Let's all say hallelujah. I remembered when this building, physical building, was being built, and there's a lot of memory in that and a little pain. I'm thankful that at this point it's done. What's here is finished. It is finished. Uh, but I remember when they unloaded some materials on this lot when there wasn't any building here. I saw the church, this building, in, in the mind of the Spirit this week, not built, but stockpiled on this property. I saw the bricks stacked. Stacks upon stacks. 120,000 bricks in the first phase. I don't know how many in the second phase. To the right, do you have any idea? 69,000? 60,000. What does that make? 180,000 bricks. That's a lot of bricks, isn't it? I saw them in the mind of the Spirit, in my spiritual mind's eye. I saw them all stacked in a heap. That would be a pretty good stack of bricks. Think so? Let's all say amen. Let's try it again. Amen. Pretty good stack of bricks. How high do you think the sheetrock would be stacked? And curled up, both ends pointed toward the sun. One side bleached out and the other side musty and moldy. Hmm? What if we were going to stockpile it here indefinitely? And when they bring more materials, we just have to make more room and put a little more material in here with the material we've already got. That's what I saw, trucks backing up, and uh, when, when we were trying to grow, they would take something off the truck and then, then we'd put it out here with the other, see? Growing, the stockpile is growing. The brickyard's getting bigger. Got a brickyard church here. The beams all laying down on the ground. It's going to be hard to keep those big beams from warping. Those are wood beams laminated. Some of you have noticed some of the stress, the check marks, and that's not really a stress mark. Those are just heat and uh, temperature checks in, in the wood. They're, they're not going to break, I don't think. But if you lay them out on the ground, it would take, wouldn't it really be something, uh, Brother Watkins, what, what would we do to, uh, what would be the first thing we'd have to do, Brother Greer, if we had everything that went into this building stockpiled on this piece of property. I mean, we've got $800,000 worth of material out here, or nearly a million dollars worth at this point. 
What, what's the first thing you think we'd better do? We better cover it up. Do you agree with that? Brother Wright, what we, how are we going to go about this? How are we going to, we've got two befores. Let's name some things we got. Paint. We've got the furniture, the pews. Carpet, all rolled up, laying right out here on the grass, right out here on the ground. Light fixtures. Windows. Speakers. Plaster. Yeah. Flags, microphones. What are we going to do? We're going to have to protect it. Let's all say protect. That's the first thing you've got to do with it if it's laying out here and it's not built together. You've got to protect it. So we're going to get some polyethylene, visqueen. What is that stuff? Huh? Either one. How wide can we get it? How wide of sheets can we get it? Huh? Forty feet? Okay, we're gonna listen, we're gonna have to get some big sheets of that stuff. And we're gonna have to put it underneath as well as over the top. And every time we get a little storm out here and the wind blows a little, it's gonna take every one of us to all come out here and hold down that plastic. Because listen, uh Brother Patton. Where Brother Pat? Huh? Oh, yeah, Brother Patton. How much? How many sacks of concrete would it take for all we've got here? Foundation. We got sixty-three thousand dollars worth in the foundation in the first phase here. It'd be a bunch, wouldn't it? About four thousand sacks of concrete. You know what's going to happen the first good rain on that? It's going to be concrete. Now, this may seem stupid to you, but I saw this building this week in the Holy Ghost while I was praying. I saw this building stockpiled on this piece of land. Stacks of things, two befores here, sheetrock over here, carpet and pews out here. In my mind, I saw men trying desperately to straighten those things to keep them from warping. Those benches will twist just like that. That's right. The work, I, I thought, this is a horrible job. How are we going And then that's not really the greatest threat, even as dangerous as it is with all of this out here. How are we going to keep this carpet from, from rotting and getting wet? Brother Philippic? What are we going to do with what are we going to do with all the stuff up there in the school? What are we going to do with all those those chairs and all that? We're just going to leave them out in the rain. We've got to cover them up. What about the songbooks? Everybody still here? It would be a gigantic, enormous, colossal job to keep the material intact. You say, well, how long are you going to store this? Oh, we're just adding to it day by day. The Lord's going to add to the church. You say, oh, I'm a brick. Hallelujah. We need some more bricks right in here with us. 
Is, it, is, is this it? What are we going to do? Gonna, okay, so we get a bunch more bricks. What are we going to do? Slide them right in here beside you, right in here on the same pile? Yeah. Say, well, we're at, what are we really doing for the kingdom of God if we are not building a building? It would take 25 junkyard dogs to keep the vandals out of here. The Spirit of the Lord asked me questions that I... Well, the answers are so obvious. As I saw this in my mind, in the Spirit, I could see us adding to the, to the work here, a brick here, a board there, a piece of the roofing over there, some more tar rolled in over here. We've got tile and we've got concrete blocks and we've got all of this been stacked around. Do you know the job the, the, the Lord asked me, wouldn't it be a lot easier to take care of this if it was all built in a building? Of course, the answer is yes, it sure would. It'd be a lot easier. But you see, in order for it to be built in a building, you've got to nail those two fours down. They're not going to move. They're going to be there. You've got to count on them. The bricks are laid down in mortar so they don't move. Doesn't, didn't the Bible say fitly joined together? Lively stones built up. The New Testament church was so totally committed, so totally committed, that they were willing to be used while we are satisfied to simply be the material. The church in 1975 is stockpiled. It is not built. Born but didn't grow up. That's right. Look, I'm going to tell you, people are hungry for God. We've used excuses that don't count. The excuses don't count. We say, people don't want this. Yes, they do want this. People are hungry for God. We have not grown up. Do you know it takes almost all of us, helping all of us, just to keep all of us saved? We're running the we're running the brickyard out here, trying to keep trying to keep the thieves out of it. Put another brick on the stack and wrap it up good. Don't want it to get wet. Now be real careful. We want to be real careful because somebody will come and steal that brick. We got to, folks. Let's watch for these new bricks we got in here. The devil sure will be after them. Listen, you can have all the bricks you can pull out of the wall with your fingers out there right now. Go get them after church. Nobody's going to steal those bricks. They're in the building. Nobody's going to be stealing the two-befores because they're in the building. I don't go to bed at night and say, Oh, Lord, don't let anyone steal the bricks off the church. Don't let them steal the two-befores out of the walls. Everything that's built into this building is safe. They can put things on it, they can do things to it, but it's still standing holding on to something else. We have stockpiled for years. We come together, we sing, we worship, we glorify. We come. But let me show you why this is a situation of rejoicing and fear, rejoicing and fear, up and down, worry. Depends on how the clouds move. If the clouds are heavy, we say... Ooh, it's going to rain. We've got to be careful. We're going to have tribulation problems, troubles. Oh, my. What are you so worried for? 
If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. We are a new creation. We shouldn't fear. There's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Nothing, nothing to worry about. Nothing to fear. No distress. No problem. The problem really is that we're not in the building. The problem is that we're just stockpiled out here. And we're trying to get more people just to be stacked out here with us. We need to build the work of God. We need to be built together. You'd have to tear one of those two-by-fours up to get it out of that wall. The paint. You want the paint? You have to take the wall with it. The paint is a part of the building. You want to take the shingles? You want the shingles? You take them off, they're no good anymore. Because they are part of the building. They're nailed down. We've got too many spirits that don't want any buzz saws on them. They don't want any nails driven in them. They are too pretty, just like they are. They've been born, according to Paul, they, they're part of the foundation. The foundation work has been done in them, but they don't want anybody building on it. Don't let, I don't want anybody banging hammers around here and nobody driving nails. But the New Testament church was so absolutely committed that they were not their own. The scripture says that no man counted the things that he had his own. They had all things common. There was a spirit among them that they didn't try to protect themselves. They were like sheep among wolves. Again, we're back again. They didn't try to sustain their lives. They didn't try to protect themselves. You say, why were they so bold? They had nothing to lose. They had nothing to fear. They weren't trying to protect a silly pride. They weren't trying to keep their status in the community. They were sold out 100% for one cause and one cause only. And that is that they might represent a crucified Christ to a dying world. And that's the only thing they lived for. They didn't live for anything else. There wasn't anything else to live for. Put them in jail and they'd sing. Beat them with stretch. They rejoiced. Stone them with stones. They got back up and went right on to Derby. Going to preach the gospel. Condemn them to be beheaded. And they're going to say, I finished my course. Therefore, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. But not for me only, but for all those that love his appearing. They lived for one moment. They lived for one day. And that was when they would see him. Though this earthly tabernacle be dissolved, they would say, we have another habitation. Building of God in, in the Spirit. Hallelujah. In the heavens. Reserved for us. I've got another house waiting on me. This house doesn't matter. This life isn't important. That's why they were bold as lions. That's why they were wise as serpents and harmless as doves. That's why they weren't afraid to be torn with wolves' teeth in their flesh. Their flanks ripped apart. That's why that life and homes and places and geographies and things that please the flesh did not matter to the early church. They wanted to work for God and God in the place they could do it. That was their life. Men who seek to please their flesh and to please their minds and their attitudes and their spirits are going to be carnally minded. And the Bible says to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Hallelujah. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of Christ dwell in you. 
Hallelujah. And then they came right back to the hope again. And if the Spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, then he that raised Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal body by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. That's the only thing you've got to be sure of is that he's in you. If he's in you, you'll have anything to worry about. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. But I'm preaching to a materialistic, self-centered, selfish generation. My message is as unpopular as a goat and a prize cattle sale. You want a church restored? You want a New Testament church? That's where it is. Every time the storms blow up, you don't run out here and say, Oh dear, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? It's put together. When you put it together, it's built for the storm. It's built for the wind. It's built for the rain. It's built for the heat. It's built for the cold. Hallelujah. It was built together in habitation unto God. I'm not satisfied to be a brick. I want to be laid up in the mortar. I want another brick laid right on top of me. Hallelujah. Now, I don't know. I don't know what's going to become of us. But I know we're not what we've got to be. You better get rid of that satisfied, smug feeling. We need to be satisfied only when we do the will of God. Great grace came on the church when they did the will of God. They weren't afraid anymore. When you do what's right, you have nothing to fear. A young man came to me here a while back and said, I've been accused of doing certain things, Brother Hand, and I've been, I've been blackmailed. It, you know, I've been set up. Looks like I did certain things. And I told him, I said, did you do them? He said, no, I didn't. I said, what are you worried about? He said, I'm worried because I know what they'll do to me. I said, if you haven't done anything, and if you've told the truth, and if you're doing right, you don't have to be afraid. God will take care of you, first of all. Next of all, I still believe in justice. I still believe there's some justice left in the world. I believe that God sees that some justice is done. I know that there have been some unjust things. I know that some men have suffered wrongfully. But uh, for the name of the Lord's sake, that's no problem. Amen. He said, rejoice when you suffer wrongfully. Hallelujah. You see, ours is, we're busy trying to get the polyethylene up around the prayer room. We're trying to get the big tarps up over the worship services. We've got to, our holiness message is a protective type thing, you know. We've got to be real careful. We've got to preserve everybody. When really, I'm going to tell you, if everybody was walking with God and and in God, the young and the new, you just tell the children, do this and don't do that, and come on, let's go. Everybody else does that, and they just grow up in the family, and that's the way it ought to go. It's right on. It shouldn't become hard messages trying to deal with the uh, inability of people to do righteousness. We shouldn't have to preach to the church year after year, year after year, the same things over and over and over again. It shouldn't be that way. That's only because the building cannot and is not built. It has to be protected today. It'll have to be checked on tomorrow. And it'll have to be checked on next week. And as long as you've got a stockpile out there, there's a good chance the devil's going to get it. There's a good chance it's going to get warped. Its attitude is going to be bad. There's a good chance it'll never serve anybody at all. What good is it doing? 
just a stack of material out here. You can't hide in it. You can't keep warm in it in the winter. You can't keep cool in it in the summertime. It won't keep the rain off your head. You just have to crawl right up in the plastic with the rest of it. Because it has to be protected. It isn't protecting. This building is built to protect us. Is that right? This building is a shelter to us, physically. This building keeps the rain off of us. Everybody say amen. amen. This building keeps the sun off of us. This building gives us comfort. It's a place where we can hear without outside obstruction and all kinds of commotion. It, 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 it draws us together. We dedicate this place. We, it's a location that we can come to. We say, we're going to go there. We're going to meet there. Everybody knows where it is, and we meet here. It's a meeting place. It's a rendezvous place for faith and for God and for us. We say, this is where we're going to be. The building is really nothing, this building. But the spiritual building is something. It was intended to be God's sanctuary. His church was intended to be a shelter in the time of storm. It was supposed to be a pavilion in a dry place, a rock in a weary land. Hallelujah! A lily in a valley, a strong lion in a, in a weak place. It was supposed to be a green leaf in time of famine, a strong tree beside a river. It was supposed to be all things to the, to the people. The church of the living God is supposed to represent God to them. A sustaining God, a delivering God, a healing God, a redeeming God, a loving God. Hallelujah! And instead of that, we have to keep ourselves busy taking care of it. We are trying to protect the church. When the church should be your, it should be your most exciting joy. It should be the haven for your young people. It should be the solace for your wounded hearts. You should come into the house of the Lord, not just, not just this building, but into the congregation of the righteous. Oh, when they were beaten, the Bible said they assembled together. They went to their own company and they prayed. There ought to be something about, about praying together. If this thing is built properly, it is not something we've got to care for. So, oh, we've got to keep it clean, Brother Bunny. We've got to keep it clean. But it's not going to rain in here. And the wind's not going to blow your hair down in here. And, and the lightning's not going to knock you down in here. The heat isn't going to give you a stroke in here. Because this building was built to protect. The church that was supposed to stand in the generation that would let until they'd be taken out of the way was not supposed to be some kind of a junkyard, stockpiled, brickyard, building of stones and mortar and material scattered on a vacant lot. It was supposed to be a pavilion where men could run into it. What is it built out of? Sticks and stones? No, hearts and hands and feet and eyes and ears and spirits. Ye are God's building. Ye are God's habitation. Ye are. Everybody has a ministry here. Everything goes together here in this building. You don't want to take anything out of this building. It's here because it's supposed to be here. I've heard people say, Brother Hamby, I don't know where my place is. That's a sad thing. That's a sad thing. Brother Hamby, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I wish you could find me something to do. Sad when people have to be found something to do. We can play ball with you, but you've got corners. 
You don't make a good ball. You don't make a good bat. You don't make a good anything. Bricks are made to be laid in mortar. And it's not going to be good for... It's just not going to be good for anything out on this lot. It's going to, it would have been better if we'd left it in the warehouse. And better if we had never brought it out. He said, yes, but we paid for it. It's ours. That's ours. We can all come and rejoice together. What if we all came out here tonight... And all this stuff was stacked around here, and I climbed up on a tall pile of sheetrock and two before and got up and said, Praise the Lord, everybody. And you said, Praise the Lord. And I said, Isn't it wonderful we got this material out here? Aren't you glad we got it paid for? What if I got up here and talked about, Boy, we've got everything we need here to have a real church in this city. Whew. Praise God. That's not that We haven't done anything. Just to put that thing together or it is a liability, not an asset. It's a problem and not an answer. Now, I'm telling you, I've preached around this world. I've preached in our churches. I've preached in this church. I've been to the spiritual ones and I've been to the dead ones. And I'm going to tell you that I don't know one church on the face of God's earth today, one local congregation that I would recommend to be anything near the apostolic plan. Oh, I'm going to make a lot of preachers mad because I'm hurting their pet fur. But I'm going to tell you it's the truth anyway. A lot of preachers just don't want their nest disturbed. They don't want anybody shaking the down out of their, out of their nest because it pays them a good living. They don't have to work hard and they can fish three days a week. If things seem to be a little low, they can buy another bus and bring in a few more children and the number goes back up and as long as the number looks good on the board. They don't have a burden for souls. I don't know where I am in this thing, but I'm not certainly where I've got to be. But I know one thing. I am looking. I am searching. I am reaching. I am trying. I am hungry. I am not satisfied. I am not satisfied that we've got the material. Brother Phillips told me the other day when he was so sick, and I walked in, he said to me with tears, he said, Brother Hanby, I've got all the material in Austin, Texas, to have a New Testament church that could shake this city. And he said, I can't make it work. I can't make it work. I looked at him and I said, I can't either. I've got people. We've got folks. We've got talent. We've got ability. We've got manpower. We, we've got people that if we would go out and win one, I told you that one a year, just one a year, in ten years, one million people would have the Holy Ghost. And that was God's plan for doing it. You work in a place of business and never say one word to a soul. Meet people day by day. Never open your mouth. They don't know who you are. And you were born to this moment as Esther to the throne. You were born for the moment, not when you would have a job and make a dollar and retire. You were born and put in that position so you could witness to those women, to those men, to those neighbors. That's why God put you there. You say, I'll lose my job. Then lose it and get another one. Witness to them. You are a witness either to, for, or against this world. I'm not talking about taking eight hours worth of working time and going out there and babbling all day long about the Bible. I'm talking about doing a good, honest eight days, eight hours of work for eight, eight hours of pay. 
But you can speak a word to somebody. You can say it to them. At a lunch break, you can speak to their hearts. God's going to work with you, but that's only going to happen to dedicated people. The tubifores don't jump up and say, Don't nail me! Don't nail me! The bees never did scream when, they, when the crane picked them up. These things just became tools in the hands of the workmen. The Apostle Paul said, I have worked with you as a master builder. I wish I knew what he did. I wish I could know. I've prayed. I've fasted. I've sought God. I'm going to do it more. I've got to find something. We've got to be, we've got to, no, not just renewed. We've got to be restored to an apostolic understanding and dedication. It's not going to be enough for us just to come back out and count the bricks and say, oh, we got them all. They're all here. Woo, glory. That's not enough. We've got to get mortar and boxes and holes and trials, and it's going to take some sweat and some tears and some time with some water on our backs and perspiration in our eyes until we look up into the sun and wonder if it is our friend or enemy. Someday when we stand in his likeness, then we can say, I have fought a good fight. But until we've fought, then we cannot say that. Until we've done well, we cannot hear him say, well done. And until we are something more than just material in this world, we will not be a pavilion of righteousness and of salvation. We are simply adding a brick now and then. The people who get the Holy Ghost in our churches and we baptize them, we simply add them to our stockpiles. And then we send out our messages as little dogs on chains to scare the devil off of people and to keep people in line and to make everything work right. When the work of the church was supposed to be constantly outreach, it should be on the offensive constantly. I know that the church has got to be swept, but that doesn't mean you've got to come in here and take every brick out and work it over and take all the two befores and work them over. Sure, the church has got to be clean. Sure, God's body has got to be right. There can't be sin and ungodliness and filth in it. It's got to be holy. But I don't believe the message of holiness was intended to be a mainline message to a church. The message of holiness was to be preached to the lost. Because the holiness of God is supposed to come to them. When they get it, it ought to be righteousness to them. They know it's right and they want to do it. Because it's righteousness. It shouldn't be a beating and a banging and a clotheslining all the time. It ought to be doing the will of God and doing it. Walking on. New ones come in, they get corrected, rebuked, just like a child. No, no. Straighten up your lip. Straighten up your lip. Straighten up your face. What are they doing? They're growing up. Takes a little time. But you don't do that. Your son comes home from college. No, no. No. Oh, my. I just think that it, the confidence and the grace and the peace and the joy comes in the Holy Ghost that we have frustrated for so many years. Presenting a negativism to the world that they cannot receive. Showing them a gospel they don't want. That's right. I say, I say to all of you, if we could find our place in God's body and get in there unmovable, unchanging, some little human tighter desire moves us wherever we please to be or whatever we please to do. God, where is he? Souls, what's that? Church, where? When? Why? Oh, it's all a secondary to us. These people were sold out. 
They were used. Here I am. Let me die. Let me live. Let me cry. Let me rejoice. Whatever. I don't care. Just, uh, my life is not my own. It's his. Whatever. Whatever comes will come. They burnt them at the stakes. They didn't cry, recant. They said, let me die. They stripped their babies away from their bosoms, took them and hung them on stakes. That early church didn't recant. They grew and grew and grew and multiplied. Multiplied. The Bible says they multiplied. You said, what are we going to do? Every one of us, every one of us needs to take an examination of our hearts. And we need to say to God tonight and this week and this month, I have heard the word of God. I know what I ought to do. I am going to do it. What does the Bible say about a man that hears the word of God and is not a doer? I will liken him to a man that built his house on the sand. And the winds came and the storms and beat against that house, and great was the fall thereof. But a man that hears these words of mine and does them, I will liken him to a man that builds his house upon a rock. That's what Peter said in the fourth chapter. This is the, this is the rock that you build or set it not, the same as become the head of the corner. Jesus said, Upon this rock will I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it.